Hello everyone and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 106. I'm Brandon Hunter alongside Kyle Betts. It's Thursday, June 22nd. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing great, Brevin. We are back for another week here of Down the Line. Excited to get down into it. Like you said, episode 106. Uh, we've reached that part of the sports calendar where things are kind of slowing down, but a lot of news today that we're going to get into specifically from the NBA, but uh, we got a lot from the past week as well that we're going to break down here in the past five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk some NBA draft that takes place later today. We'll talk some baseball, plenty of news going on there. London series this weekend. We've got um, major ch- tournament golf going on. Um, so we'll get all into that this week. But we're going to kick things off here the fast five. There was an uh, MLB commissioner, Rob Manfred did an interview with time.com and one of the things that he said he talked about different different um topics around baseball and one of the things that he said was um he said one of his he was asked which uh was one of his which was not one of his best decisions and it was granting the houston astros immunity following their cheating scandal during the 2017 and 18 seasons obviously led to them winning the World Series after um, the uh, after studies were unveiled. Oh yeah, you think, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, Brevin, this is actually the first time hearing of this. Uh, now that you you've broken this down, uh, it's definitely interesting to hear that's what it is for him. Obviously, there are a lot of thoughts surrounding uh, the COVID season as well. Uh, the treatment of minor league players. I mean, the list is pretty long, Brad, but I can keep going with that, and we all know that. Um, but I, I think in this case, yeah, he's probably right. It, it probably is one of his biggest failures, and uh, that's why Manfred is, in my opinion, I, I think he's the most hated commissioner out there on, on the public spectrum, at least from that perspective. Um just because of, you know, questionable decisions he, he's seen to main time and time again, uh, just throughout his time as MLB commissioner. So, yeah, this is not too surprising for me. And, I mean, at least he's admitting up to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's good as commissioner when you're able to own up to some of those decisions that you've made previously that you might regret um you know five six years down the stretch really it's been four but um because of how much of a how much of a leadership role being a professional sports commissioner is i mean we've seen it um in the golf world you know with the pga and the pi merging together um that was pretty much done by pga tour commissioner jay monahan so we're seeing that um the intense pressure adrenaline type um moments come into play here um with these types of situations all right we go to number two on the list and speaking of golf major tournaments continue this week with the women's kpmg women's pga championship that's taking place at baltus roll golf club in springfield new jersey uh the leaders are right now at three under there's about uh, four of them there. There's some that are still in action right now. There's uh, the morning wave. They're done. Brooke Henderson. Um, she's at two under through 13 right now. She started on the back nine. Um, 
Rosie Zhang is one under. Uh, Grace Kim one under. Um, let's see, trying to find who else is here among the leaderboard. Um, Jin Young Ko is uh, even par through 12 so far. Uh, Minji Lee one over. Um, let's see if I can find the Cordas here. Nelly Corda is four over through 12. I see this is I think this is her first tournament back since she had I think it was back surgery or something like that. Um so yeah. So that is pretty much the update on the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Yeah, Shona NG, uh the champion last year, uh that was crowned uh on June twenty sixth. So um now you see the tournament now uh be held in Beth Santa this year, or actually, yeah. Um, you know, just thinking about this this champion, you know, this major here, one, one of five, and, and the purse being uh, $9 million here. I mean, uh, a lot at stake. And, uh, Brevin, this is going to be pretty close all throughout because from what it seems, it's a pretty tough course. Yeah, this is one of the tougher courses. That's why we see it here. Um, Baltus Rosos didn't multiple major championships both on the men's and the women's side so this week we get to it gets to be shown off for um the best women golfers in the world okay yeah last year it was held in best state of maryland this mm-hmm. in uh springfield new yeah. jersey uh ball tooth roll all right we're gonna move on to point number three here we come a little bit more local to kyle and high and that is um, the San Diego State University, they reportedly want to leave them out in the West, but the conference itself rejected the request uh, from SDSU. Yeah, of course they did. I don't think that comes at any surprise, really. But uh, the question here, Brevin, is, you know, with, with, I believe, a $17 million exit fee being available, do you think SDSU at any point is going to try and, you know, scrap some funds up and and try and just pay that off or do you think they're going to go a different route here i think so what's interesting what comes about this is what happened during the ncaa tournament because of how much money sdsu was able to get for the conference because of they were able to get i think it was seven units i think it was for movie getting to the championship game total so through the round of 32 round sweet 16 elite eight final four national championships so um it i mean it's crazy how it's not where the mountain west is just going to take money from that aspect instead of just you know just just taking it from the 16.5 million right yeah it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out uh obviously you know the mountain west kind of holding back here but you know san diego state they got to be proactive about it if they want to leave i mean the sooner the better Mm-hmm. obviously in, in most standpoints but the mount west you know certainly wanting to retain uh, overall their best school i think there's no doubt about it now mm-hmm. Essex had there were six uh Essex teams that had that won a mountain west conference championship last year um that led the conference as well um i see that was two for men's basketball and then um there were uh, four other teams that had won, um, both in basketball won the regular season title, 
and the conference title, and then before that NCAA tournament run. Yeah, definitely. You know, you, you consider San Diego State among, you know, the top teams in this conference and in, in schools just in general. You know, Boise State being up there. Fresno State always puts together really competitive athletic programs. You got Utah State competing, competing in a, in a lot of different uh, sports. So, yeah, I mean, this this is what the Mountain West wants is, is to have a team, you know, create so much success for this conference because we saw what happened to all the other teams in the tournament. And San Diego State was was really the top dog, and and obviously uh, for good reason, just because of of the team they've assembled, the leadership that's been able to get them there. You know, really at every level, and it starts with the athletic department. I think the athletic department's done a great job. So now they just got to make that next step as a university to um, really decide how how much they want to move on and uh, do what it takes if they are willing to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, SCSU has until June 30th um, to submit an official recognition one year in advance of departure. Yeah. Um, before exit fees double from that 16 and a half million total to 34 million, so practically doubled the amount. Yeah, now or never, pretty much. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to move on to point number four on the fast five points four and five. Talk some U.S. national soccer will be kickoff with the men's. Uh, they defeated Canada to win the Coca-Cola Nations League final. I'm pretty sure the final of that game was 2-0 on Sunday in Las Vegas. Yeah, it was. And it was a great game. Uh, great to see another trophy come home to the U.S. And we all know that Canada's put together a really good team, especially over these past three years or so, I would say. Um, they put together, you know, a, a lot of talented guys that have, uh, played overseas, they've, they've had European experience, and even guys who have played in the MLS. Um, when, when you think about this starting 11 that we had in this game, Bill Brevin, these are pretty much mostly guys that are playing in Europe as well, mm-hmm. um, but even more so than Canada. So now you see a U.S. men's national team who primarily was made up of guys who played MLS soccer way back when now there's only like one or two guys from the mls that are in the starting 11 i mean to see how talented this team has become is crazy and to see it you know come alive in real time is great uh full aaron balogun getting his first goal wearing the u.s men's national team jersey was great um his second game obviously uh playing and he's i believe 20 years old and just got so much potential Giovanni Reina, uh, two assists in this game as well. Um, I think he's 19 years old. I mean, we just got guys who are so talented and young, and, and the future is really bright. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be key to see, especially now we're about 13 months away from next year's Olympics, Olympic Games. Um, you know, for this U.S. men's national team looking to possibly go after a gold medal. All right. On the women's side, the FIFA Women's World Cup U.S. Women's National Team was announced the other day. They got three goalkeepers, they got an 18-year-old, and you got some of the familiar names among this roster. You've got Alyssa Nair, she's one of the goalkeepers on Casey Murphy and Aubrey Kingsbury. You got um, you got your stars, that, you know, your Crystal Duns, your 
um, Emily Stonis, your your regulars that you've seen, Rose Lavelle, uh, Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, they're all there. Sophia Smith, uh, Lynn Williams, they're there as well. And so I think there's an 18-year-old. I can't remember who that was. Okay. Um, but there is an 18-year-old yeah. on this uh, roster. Right. I think that's fantastic. Like you said, you know, youth development in soccer, I think, is so important. Uh, you know, the quicker your players develop, the easier it's going to be in the future. So um, to see that even on the women's side as well, you know, I've been hyping up the men's side, you know, with a lot of their young guys and, and the young talent they have. But on the women's side, I mean, it, it's fantastic to hear that they have an 18-year-old out there um, getting that experience, you know, and hopefully being a part of the squad, no matter how much she ends up playing, um, is going to help her in the future because I think the U.S. women's national team now is kind of reaching a new era because we don't know if we're going to see Megan Rapinoe in the next World Cup. I don't know if we're going to see Alex Morgan in the next World Cup either. I think, you know, this is probably it for them. So, uh, yeah, I think just passing the baton to the next generation is important. And so just to have some younger players in your squad is going to fulfill that in the future. Mm-hmm. That 18-year-old is uh, Alyssa Thompson. And then, too, when you look at the roster, there's some injuries that where some people or some players that you're used to seeing are, are not part of this roster. That includes guys like uh, players like Becky Sarbrun, who's been the captain for this team over the last good amount of years. Um, um, you've got Carly Lloyd, Tobin Heath, um, Christian Press, a few of the – um veterans um you know are not part of this roster as well and so um you know it's um a little bit going to be a little bit of a younger team heading into next month's world cup definitely and you know like you said that's that's kind of what you want to see but at the same time hopefully you get results you know mm-hmm. with, with the talent that you already have so mm-hmm. yeah high expectations as always for our women's national team and yeah, ho- hopefully uh-huh. uh, they pull through. Yeah. I have to remember this is a U.S. women's national team. That's when this world cup the last two times in 2019 yeah. and 2015. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move away from the fast five. We're going to move to major league baseball. Um, news came out last week that the San Francisco giants and the St. Louis Cardinals will play a field of dreams game in Birmingham, Alabama at Rickwood Field, the oldest professional ballpark in the country and the former home of the Birmingham Black Barons of the Negro Leagues um, next year on June 20th. Yeah, this is uh, great. I think it's going to be obviously a a good way to honor the history of baseball here um, and and just commemorate all that that was and, and just being able to play in another Guild of Dreams game I think is so important and i think it's really interesting too you bring up oldest professional ballpark in the u.s uh brevin how long has it been since it was built i mean oh gosh uh i think i saw i don't remember the year um i can check right now though yeah rickwood field i mean either way that's incredible so to see the mlb kind of take advantage of that uh, it, it's going to be great, and I'm sure those t- tickets are going to be as expensive as ever, especially with two historic teams, like you mentioned, with San Francisco and St. Louis going at it. Mm-hmm. Let's see. 
Um, I'm pretty sure the opening day of Rickwood Field was August 18th, 1910. Yeah, wow. And I think Fenway Park was just two years open after that. Yeah. Huh. That's mm-hmm. That's great, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think though, um, I think MLB is going to honor Billy Mays. I think it is too. Uh-huh. Um, during this game, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, it should be a great, uh, a great time for in terms of growing the game, especially. Uh, you know, we think about the Negro League. Some of the players who have come um, through the leagues into the major league. I see. Think about Jackie Robinson as well, who broke the color barrier back in 1947. All right, we think about growing the game. The Cardinals and the Cubs are playing a two-game series this weekend out in London, resuming the London series for the first time in four years when the Red Sox and Yankees uh, faced off at London Stadium. Yeah, um, this is going to be really interesting here. I mean, just seeing baseball being played overseas. I don't recall the last time that's happened, Brevin. I mean, has there been a recent time in which – the MLB has been over in London. Did they do that last year? They did it um, 2019 with the Red Sox and Yankees. Okay, so pre-pandemic. Okay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Good to see them bring it back. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a pretty solid game. Obviously, these two teams being division rivals. Mm. Yeah, you'll get to see the reigning NL MVP, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Obviously, probably would have liked to see the Cardinals with a better record than what they are heading into London. Um, you do have, um, in terms of a goal last bug, you got Seiya Suzuki from Japan. Yeah. Um, on the Cubs, you got Dansby Swanson. Um, you know, this is a good good NL Central matchup, especially in a division that's pretty wide open. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, when you consider these two teams, I mean, the Cubs – kind of doing how we expected, but then the Cardinals underperforming, like you mentioned. Yeah, I think it's going to make for a good scrappy baseball game here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think fans are going to enjoy it, and hopefully it grows the game as they want it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two games will be on Saturday and Sunday out across the Atlantic Pond. Um, all right, also going on right now, All-Star Phase 1 voting ended earlier today. Um, the results are, I think they're currently being unveiled right now on MLB Network. Let me check on Twitter to see if there's been any one that has been uh, announced so far. Um, I don't see anything here on Twitter yet so far. But um, I know that the uh, um, results did end today. Uh, the leading vote-getters... Um, the uh, leading vote-getters um, in both the American League and the National League will punch their tickets to Seattle, um, where the All-Star Game will be hosted. Um, second return results from Phase 1 were announced on Tuesday. Um, so you saw some close matchups there. Um but yeah, and then after these results are announced today, phase two um, will begin. Vote totals will reset. Um, 
So it'll be kind of like a head-to-head matchup in a second uh, phase of voting. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That that sounds uh, pretty interesting. Here, uh, it, it's going to be intriguing to see, you know, where these votes ultimately end up um, with these latest latest standings, Brevin. Um, who do you has had like the biggest trends you think so far in terms of uh, jumping up recently? Yeah, the uh, open up the. I mean, there's pretty much been so many competitive races. I think there's been six. Yeah. Um, you get um, American League catcher with Salvador Perez, Jonah Heim, and Alejandro uh, Kirk. It's been the closest um, race so far in phase one with less than 2,200 votes separating Perez and Heim oh. for the second spot behind Adley Brutchman. And then... Um, Alejandro Kirk, who is last year's American League starting catcher, is 57,000 votes behind Perez. So um, you get a close matchup there. Um, AL second base, the second um, between Whit Merrifield and Jose Altuve. Um, Merrifield has jumped Jose Altuve since the first ballot update, um, only trailing behind Marcus Simeon. Um, so yeah, so that's, um, key thing to watch there for that second spot, um, American League outfield, uh, you got George Springer, Adolis Garcia, and Masataki Oshida, 83,000 votes separate these three in the race for the sixth American League All-Star, uh, American League outfield spot behind Judge, Trout, and Randy Rosarena, and Jordan Alvarez with Kevin Kiermeyer. so that sixth and final spot will be key to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, George Springer, 10 home runs, Adolis Garcia, 15 home runs, the Ricky Masia Taka Yoshida, highest OPS of the three at 848 um, in his first season in Boston. On the national side, behind Freddie Freeman at first base, um, the battle between Matt Olson and Pete Alonso. Uh, Alonso did go on the IL um, just a couple weeks ago with the Bonebury, so. It'd be interesting to see um, how that battle takes shape in possibly round phase two. Yeah. Um, uh, those two were only separated by 5,500 votes between Olsen and Alonzo. Yeah, that's a really close one. I, but I think, you know, you mentioned that AL outfield race, you know, for, for those spots. I, I think that's really one to watch as well, especially mm-hmm. a lot of guys who have been making differences for your teams. You mentioned Kevin Kiermeyer. I mean, he's been great, but I think in the past week he's he's kind of struggled a little bit. So, uh, you know, now now's the time if these guys uh, want to make a push. But then, um, like you mentioned, there's always guys going on IL too. Like you mentioned, uh, Pete Alonso, uh, kind of a worst case scenario for him. You know, heading into this All Star break, or at least as we're nearing that, and mm-hmm. voting is still going on. Yeah, and then also another battle to look at is uh, in the National League shortstop category between Francisco Lindor and Xander Bogarts. Um, At the second phase result, or the second return results of phase one, Lindor had a lead of less than 86,000 votes, um, only behind Atlanta's Orlando Arcia. Yeah. And then the other matchup was 
the uh, um, um, there's one spot left in the nationally outfield spot, supposedly, if the votes stay the same between Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Michael Harris the second. So you have last year's NL Rookie of the Year with a couple of Padre teammates. Um, so that is always key to watch. Um, Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, looks like he'll be the leading vote getter in the National League. Yeah. Um, and four players vying for the final two spots in Phase 2. Um, and so Mookie Betts, Corbin Carroll, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hold on to their spots. So it'll just leave one spot for Soto, Tatis, or Harris. Yeah, that's going to be a close race, no doubt about that. Um, obviously... Hope, hoping those Padres uh, find a way to sneak in there, but it's interesting mm-hmm. to see them battle each other at the same time to try and get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the top overall vote getters, um, Ronald Acuna Jr., over 3 million votes wow. um, in the National League. and the American League, um, overall vote getter was Shohei Otani from yeah. the Angels, got about 2.65 uh, million votes. And then, yeah, those, uh, let's see, those moving on to phase two in the American League, Adley Rutschman and Jonah Heim, um, Vlad Jr. and Yandy Diaz at first base, uh, Marcus Semien and Whit Merrifield, so you see Whit Merrifield there um, at second base, Josh Jung from the Rangers, the rookie, um, and Matt Chapman, um, shortstop Bo Bichette and Corey Seager, that outfield that I just talked about, you get Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, Randy Rosarena, followed by Jordan Alvarez, Kevin Kiermeyer, and Adolis Garcia. Yep. Um, nationally, you get Sean Murphy and Will Smith battling it out. First base is Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson. So you see Matt Olson or Matt Olson edging out um, Pete Alonso. Uh, second base is Luis Arise and Ozzy Albies. Um, Arise continues to march towards 400 to be the first 400 hitter since Ted Williams in 1941. Third base, Nolan Arenado and Austin Riley. Um, shortstop, like we just mentioned, is Ar- uh, Orlando Arcia and Francisco Lindor, who, who looks like edged out Xander Bogarts. Um, the... Uh, The uh, DH spot is between J.D. Martinez and Bryce Harper. Um, and then that outfield that we just talked about. Um, so you get Mookie Betts and Corbin Carroll in addition to um, Ronald Acuna Jr. And then you also got Lourdes Gurriel and Michael Harris. So um, no Padres eventually made their case to possibly be a starter. Uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So that is the All-Star Phase 2 results. The voting will go back to zero, and then fans will have, I'm pretty sure, until I think it's next week sometime, the 29th maybe. Um, phase 2 begins Monday at noon, noon Eastern time. So, yeah. So that is um, all-star voting results for phase one. All right, we're going to move down to fair or foul, our three up, three down weekly segment. Kyle, you want to kick things off? 
Yeah, let's get it going. Uh, we'll start here with uh, our three up, and I'll, I'll start here first. I'm going to go with the San Francisco Giants. Ten wins in a row for them. And uh, I noticed, Brevin, you did not have them on your list, maybe because of uh, what we've seen these past couple days. That's partially part of it, but then uh, there were... I mean, I'm talking about five different items here within my three-ups, so I couldn't keep the Giants oh, on here, okay. so... But you'll see why when I get more into it. Okay, okay, for sure. Well, yeah, I'm taking the Giants here. Mm -hmm. Ten wins in a row. You, There's no other words or, or anything else I need to say because that's the reason right there. And to see them play some inspirational baseball has been really cool. It seems like they can't lose. I mean, they put up really good amounts of runs essentially every night, at least across the stretch. And to see them now 10 games above 500, uh, it's making things a lot more interesting now between them and the Diamondbacks, as we mentioned, uh, the Diamondbacks first in the NL West right now. So, yeah, very deserving of being on this three-up list. And another team that I put on here is the Cincinnati Reds. Now, I've been really impressed with this team as well. I mean, when you think about the team with – not necessarily high expectations. I mean, they've won 11 straight. So now a, a team that was at one point six games under is now 40 and 35. They're five games above 500. They lead the NL Central right now by a game and a half over the Brewers. I saw the other day the Brewers were plus 100 odds to win the NL Central. Well, this makes things a lot more interesting and this is still a close NL Central right now. I mean, the Reds have 40 wins, followed by the Brewers at 38, Cubs 36, Pirates 34, and the Cardinals, they're at the bottom with 31, but I feel like they can get hot at any time too. So to see the Reds be this successful this early on in the season, I think it's really impressive. And then, yeah, who else is among your top, uh, your three up? Yeah, and this is a guy who I haven't necessarily underestimated that much throughout his career, but uh, I think this year I kind of have until now. I mean, that being Eddie Rosario. You go back to uh, June 14th, entering that game, he was hitting 243, uh, actually after that game. But then you, you follow that with a doubleheader game in which he gets uh, two hits in that, uh, he continues his hit streak uh, over the course of five days. And, and during that span, he actually is able to bring in 10 hits. So he, he's been really successful as of late. Uh, yesterday, or actually today, I should say rather, um, two at-bats so far, one strikeout. But uh, over the course of the week, he's gone from 243 hitting 271. And this is a great team that has looked good pretty much all year long. And they're keeping that up. He's been, you know, a pretty notable reason why. Eight and two in their last 10 games. Uh, so to see them continue to drive in runs, you mentioned Ronald Acuna earlier. Uh, he's been, you know, an MVP candidate. And uh, Eddie Rosario, over the past week, he's been a good contributor for them too. 
Mm -hmm. That is a good set of three. The Giants, Reds, and Braves have combined to have the three best records, um, along with the Arizona Diamonds. Diamondbacks have lost 30 games. The Giants and Reds have gone 21 and 9, and the wow. Braves and D-backs have gone 20 and 10 over the last 30 games. That's incredible. All right. Um, for me, first one for me, I think I'm gonna go with Shohei Otani here. Um, a big part of a big part of why the Angels are six games over 500 entering today. Uh, you know, I think it was over the weekend where it was pointed out that Shohei Otani leads every single stat on this team, and I think he was tied with Trout in walks, I believe. Um, he was leading the team in like average home runs, RBIs, pretty much any stat you can name of, including pitching. He was leading the team in. It just goes to show you how crazy um, and how unique Shohei Otani is, and um, you know we start to see that. Um, you know, especially with the MLB draft combine taking place earlier this week, and um, you see the two-way stars there, and how much they kind of are compared to Shohei Otani and how kind of humble it means to them of being a two-way player and what that means to them. Right. So I've got Shohei Otani there. Um, I next got the Reds in an 11-game winning streak. Um, like you mentioned, Kyle, a big part of them being able to, you know, like you mentioned, go from six games under 500 to five games over 500. The... Cincinnati Reds are tied with the Giants and the Marlins for the best record in the, for the second best record in the last 20 games at 14 and 6 only trailing the Braves who um, fall into my next point um, I want to talk about the three teams in the National League East the Braves the Phillies and the Marlins the Phillies um, kind of fallen off over the last couple of days but the Phillies They've won 12 of their last 20 games. Um, the Marlins have won 14 of their last 20. And the Braves are, have won 15 of the last 20. And so you're starting to see some separation in that National League East from the Braves, the Phillies, and Marlins compared to the Mets and the Nationals. So those are pretty much my three up. I got Shohei Otani, I got the Reds, and then the hot, the hot teams in the NL East, the Braves, the Phillies, and the Marlins. That is a... Solid list as well, if I should say myself. All right. Uh, let's get into my three down then, I guess, here. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, Brevin, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier today, but uh, one of my guys I wrote down as I was kind of planning this out yesterday was Byron Buxton. And I believe he was hitting – 133 over the course of the past week uh, as of yesterday. And, you know, things just weren't going so well for him during that span. Uh, he only had three hits, you know, and before June 20th, he went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games without a hit as well. So his average entering today, Brevin, 210. That's just not what you expect to see from. Uh, a player of Byron Buxton's caliber, but today I, I think he kind of got some intel on, on me, uh, including him on his list because he made stat cast history 
a six nothing victory over the Red Sox. Obviously, Buxton being on the Twins, he hit home runs of 466 feet and 465 feet in consecutive plate appearances. Yep, 931 feet. Yeah, so he's now the first hitter in the Statcast era to hit multiple homers of 460 feet or longer in one game, with his first inning blast off. Justin Garza and his third inning shot off Brandon Walter. That coming from MLB.com. Um, yeah. So Byron Buxton before today, he was on my three down, but yeah, way, way to redeem himself today. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, another guy that I put on this list who is a really good player, Rafael Devers. And over the course of the last week, hasn't necessarily looked great. I think um since june 16th he has only been hitting 166 um but today he did get a hit he had a hit yesterday uh but yesterday he was one for five today uh one for three um hitting 238 on the season and uh that's a pretty significant drop off still even from when he was hitting uh 247 entering june 18th so, yeah, I, I think he's got some work to do, you know, picking it up at the plate a little bit. But we all know what he can do, you know, being an all-star these past couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. So you got Byron Buxton, you got Rafael Devers, yeah. and who else you got? Yeah, this is a uh, team who uh, has definitely faltered as of late, Brevin. I mean, they were looking hot, but it's the Pittsburgh Pirates for me here. They're one and nine in their last 10 games. And all of a sudden, you know, I believe they were leading the NL Central at one point. Uh, now they're in fourth. As I mentioned earlier, 34 wins for them, but uh, they have 39 losses. So they're five games back now at this point. And just because they've underperformed, now they've fallen behind, you know, somewhat significantly. So a pretty big series here this weekend coming up. Uh, against the Miami Marlins. In fact, mm-hmm. four-game series before they take on San Diego. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is really important for them, you know, just coming off of two sweeps, or actually three, three consecutive sweeps here for the Pirates. Yep. Nice losses. Yeah, it's not looking good. And what's even worse for them, Brevin, my last point, Brian Reynolds now on IL. Yeah, hmm just yeah. back injury, 10-day IL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this Pirates team, longest losing streak in baseball right now. Um, he's also, uh, Pirates also my three down, um, trying to look, trying to turn things around against a good Marlins team that I talked about within my three up. Um, you know, they just haven't been hitting the ball and, you know, been able to produce victories. And that was key for the Pirates early on with, um, with the veterans and Andrew McCutcheon and Carlos Santana. Um, but the, then they've had some struggles as of late, you know, and you should just see that. And uh, it's led to them losing nine in a row, losing first place as well. And now all of a sudden they're five games, five games under 500 and five games back of the first place Cincinnati Reds. I also, I did a quick change here. Um, 
while Kyle was talking, I was originally going to have the Houston Astros, but I actually switched out to the team that has the second longest losing streak in baseball, and that being the Colorado Rockies. Um, that second longest losing streak right now in baseball is at eight, um, and only ahead of the A's at seven by trailing the Pirates at nine. This Rockies team, they just haven't been able to get it done. Um, they got swept, I think it was by the Cubs, I think it was. Um, and so um, within their last eight games, and you know, just, things just haven't really gone um, their way. Um, they got set to take on the Angels in Quartz Field, it looks like. So um, plenty of offense there before also hosting the Dodgers um, late next week. So this will be a pretty difficult time um, for the Rockies, taking on Trout, taking on Otani, um, you know, here th- this weekend. Um, so, yeah, it would be tough to see. Charlie Blackman's on the 10-day I.L. We talked about Chris Bryant being on the I.L. Um, T.J. Crone's on the I.L., yeah. Um, as well, and then we talked about the pitching with um, Ramon Marquez having Tommy John surgery, Antonio Senzatella getting hurt, um, you know, DFAing Danielson the Met earlier this week. So it's a pretty difficult time right now um, for this Rockies team. And then the other one for me. It's got to be it's got to be the Yankees, and as we think about injuries for the Rockies, it's pretty much the other team in pretty much white and black pinstripes in the Yankees. You see, uh, um, you know, players getting hurt left and right. We saw Josh Donaldson just make his return. Um, you know, even though this Yankees team are forty-one and. 33, they're in third place of the ALA. She still got um, players that are that are hurt. Aaron Judge is currently on the 10-day IL. Um, you also got um, Nestor Cortez on the 15-day IL. Um, Jonathan Loizaga uh, on the 60-day IL. So you're seeing guys that are starting to come back, but... Um, you see the injury start to take place, and then, and then you decide to let go of a guy like Aaron Hicks, and you see him bust out um, against one of your foes in the Baltimore Orioles. So things just really haven't. I mean, the Yankees are forty-one and thirty-three, but I feel like they're a team that could do a lot better. Yeah, definitely. So that's my three down: Yankees, Rockies, and Pirates. Kyle's got Byron Buxton. Raphael Devers and the Pirates. I've got the among the three up. Kyle has the Giants, the Reds, and the and Eddie Rosario. The Giants did lose today to end that ten game losing streak to the Padres, ten zero. Um, but ten straight wins is um tough to do. I see wow. we've seen the Reds do it. We saw the Rays do it earlier in the year. I had the Angels, the Reds, and a trio of NL East teams among my three up: the Braves, the Phillies, and the Marlins. All right, we're going to move on now. We're going to talk a little Padres baseball. One of the things that has gone well, even despite um, the Padres' struggles as of late, has been Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, you know, he's had a couple of outfield assists, should have had another one 
last night, but it was um, taken off because of replay, which we'll get into um, yeah. in a little bit. Fernando right now hitting 286 um, this season, so the average um, starting to go back up. Um, as you look at the game logs and what Fernando has done game by game this season, he's, um, you know, it's just that month of June, Fernando knows how to turn it on from June, yeah, from June 2nd to, um, June 21st, Fernando has hit, um, 25 for 83, so he's hitting 357, six home runs, 12 RBIs, um, eight doubles. So you see Fernando getting on base and 451 OBP, slugging 729 OPS, so nearly 1200. So you're seeing good things out of Fernando Tatis June here. You're in the month of June, a month where he's had a plenty of success um, in his major league career. Yeah, that's definitely what you want to see out of Fernando, no doubt about it. And, I, you know, I, I think to, you know, especially see him go on that little hitting streak that he had, you know, going on five games. But w- within that span, uh, he had eight hits. So, I mean, that's why that average was was climbing up. At one point, he was hitting 291. And you you mentioned it, you know, Brevin, when you talked about the game today between the Padres and Giants. I had no idea the result of that. So, uh, 10 nothing is, I would say, a really significant win for this Padres team. They needed that, uh, you know, entering this weekend. And Fernando in, in this game, no hits, but he was able to walk at one point, and he ultimately ended up scoring. So at least he's contributing in that way, and, you know, he has his teammates to lift him up. But, you know, one guy who's really impressed me is still, you mentioned last week, Brevin, but Gary Sanchez. Yep. Uh, really nice game for him today. He hits three RBIs. Yeah, had a big three and homer to kick off the scoring today uh, for the Giant for the Padres off Giant starting pitcher Alex Wood. It got things going. The Manny Machado hit a three and homer. Hassan Kim followed that up with a solo shot of his own. So you're hoping that this offense can turn things around, especially with the way things went the first three games in San Francisco. Although the starting pitching is where you want it to be with. Um, Joe Musgrove, Hugh Darvish, the return of Seth Lugo and Michael Walker, um, with Blake Snell today. Um, you know, he just, the Padres didn't really execute earlier in the series, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and with runners in scoring position, we saw, um, some miscues and some, some small ball, uh, you know, the bullpen not being able to throw strikes was key on Monday and Tuesday night. And then on top of that, things just didn't go the Padres way, especially, Last night in the fifth inning, that play, uh, base hit to right field. Franio looks like he's going to drill a runner out at third base but uh, at home plate. But then uh, um, the runner was out by, was it 30, 35 feet, it looked like. But then as the replay, it said that Gary Sanchez was in the path of the runner. And so the runner was called safe, and it led to a couple more, run- it, uh, a couple more runs and led to the... Uh, Padres losing yesterday four to two. Yeah. Yeah, that was tough to see. Uh a call changed the entire course of the game really. So man, that, I mean you can't make something like that up. <laughs> but yeah. So we will see how the Padres do this weekend playing against 
the Nationals, you get to see Mackenzie Gore, um, C.J. Abrams, a couple of Padres treated with that Juan Soto deal last year. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to move on to the Angels. They took two out of three um, in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, that that was all good. The most demoralizing part of that was the loss, and that was 10-9. to 9. Samad Taylor with the walk-off single on his debut. And I just don't get how you lose a 10-9 to game like that, especially at one point because they were, I believe, leading 8-1. to So, yeah, that was a terrible loss. But at least they took the, the other two in that series. Uh, but heading to the freeway series, Brevin, man, things just did not look good. Yeah, it's been tough to see this Angels team. It just shows you kind of what we've seen from the Padres. It's like they get good pitching, but then there's no offensive support. There's no run support um, for this Angels pitching staff, no matter if it's Shohei Otani um, or if it's, it's like Reed Detmer, especially in a big game, uh, knowing that you're going up against Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, I think he dueled really well against Clayton Kershaw. Uh, everything you want to see against – you know, a guy of that caliber, especially this year, the way he's been pitching Kershaw. But yeah, you, you mentioned Shohei Otani too in, the, in that same sentence. And it's, just, it's the same thing every game for him pretty much, but only this time 12 strikeouts. And I thought it was pretty surprising, you know. <laughs> I mean, you, you're going to see like 10 strikeouts, but this time you got 12, you know. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that he never faced the Dodgers before. I would have thought he has at least once, you know, before on the mm-hmm. but, uh, still a great outing from him. Just unfortunate, you know, both of these games, they ultimately were shut out last night to nothing. The final score in a game, like I mentioned, 12 strikeouts for Shohei Otani. And, you know, it, it, it hurts to see the angels lose just because he makes one mistake essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, that's what happens when you don't hit uh if you look at any range part, we've seen that from Padre Shagging put your Blake Snell earlier in the air, he does um pretty well, but then offense doesn't give him much support. Um so yeah. We see some injury updates, uh some injuries to this Angels team. We're starting to see the attrition um as we get into the midway point of the major league baseball season. Vegas one probably do or Shell are going to be out for the rest of the year, but won't need surgery. Yeah, I think here, you know, you talk about the Angels' struggles these past couple days. Well, this has all kind of culminated over the course of the past week or so is all these injuries, like you mentioned. And that starts with Zach Neto, I think, not having him, you know, be that cornerstone part of your infield. He's quickly become that kind of guy he's fulfilled that role rather quickly but uh you know now with him not being active it's tough to see and i don't know when he's necessarily going to come back from his oblique strain but yeah i I think this is still a significant loss for this team at least so far because he's not only been doing well defensively but hitting 259 on on the season brings some power in his bat too with six home runs i mean this is what this angels team needs and him being a rookie has been really impressive. So they need him back soon. Another guy, you know, that we're still waiting on is Anthony Rendon. Uh, 
Brevin, we talk about him every time we talk about the Angels' injury problems. And here he is again on the IL with a wrist contusion as of three days ago. Uh, he was put on IL four days after suffering that injury. So he was hit by a pitch a week ago today as of now that we're recording this on Thursday, June 22nd. Um, hit by Nathan Eovaldi, remained in the game but he wasn't able to swing the bat because you know why Gio Urshela exited shortly thereafter. And what happened to Gio Urshela? Well, he's now out for the season and it's just completely going downhill for this angels team. Uh, Urshela likely has a broken pelvis according to angels manager, Phil Nevin. And all because he fell awkwardly at first base trying to beat out a ground ball um, against the Rangers as well. So tough to see him, especially since he was hitting 299, 24 RBIs for the Angels this season. And uh, his one-year contract is going to be fulfilled with him being on IL for the rest of the year. So all three of those infielders being hurt now, Brevin, is causing serious depth issues for this team with all within the past week. And I thought depth wasn't going to be that much of a problem this year. Turns out it is. Yeah. I mean, we did see uh, Joe Adele hit a 514 foot homer in AAA this week. So, yeah. So maybe we do see the call up of, of Joe Adele. I think you're going to see that. I think Taylor Ward could end up playing a lot more first base. Uh, I think he could. Mm-hmm split a lot of time with Jared Walsh ultimately there. We saw Gio Urshela get a lot of minutes there as well. He, he played a lot of innings. And now that he's gone, they're going to need someone to fill that void. So I think Taylor Ward could be one of those guys filling in the outfield or at first base. And you can pretty much plug Joe Adele in the outfield, you know, any one of those corner spots out there. Uh, hopefully his uh, defensive prowess, so to speak, has – has improved as well but just one more injury i want to touch on here brevin as well that the angels have dealt with ben joyce you know he's one of those guys who's been uh, a hard uh throwing uh rookie for this team just called up i mean uh when when you think about what he's been able to do just 22 years old um he was put on the 15 day il but Good news, despite dealing with discomfort in his right arm, apparently his ligaments are intact and it's a minor nerve issue. So hopefully he's able to come back soon because uh, as we've seen at times this season, Brevin, the bullpen hasn't looked good, but he's been one of those guys who has. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we will see how the Angels could possibly turn it around. Remember, they're going to... Course field for three games against the Rockies, the last place Colorado Rockies um, this weekend. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some NBA basketball. It's draft night. Um, just about an hour. We've got, uh, we're talking some U.S. Open golf. Um, and then they go right into um, trivia that's centered on the NBA draft. So that's all coming up next here on it down the line.
What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 106, recording this on Thursday, June 22nd, just before 4 o'clock in the afternoon on the West Coast. My name is Kyle Metz, as always, joined by Brevin Honda. This episode of DTL, once again, number 106, we just got into our Fast Five in our first half of this episode. Also talked some MLB, got into some recent news, as well as our fair or foul segment, including our three up, three down, where we discuss our teams and players who have performed well or not this uh, past week. We also got into some Padres Angels, the Freeway Series, and some Angels injury updates as well. Now, in the second half, we're going to kick things off by talking some U.S. Open. And it's the 123rd running of this Brevin here this past weekend at the L.A. Country Club. And it was really good competition all throughout. We saw Xander Shoffley uh, perform well in, you know, round one. That didn't necessarily last throughout, but, uh, you know, there were some other guys who were competing all throughout, like uh, Ricky Fowler. He was among, you know, the leaders all throughout this tournament. But ultimately, it was Wyndham Clark who won his first major. Yeah, this comes after Wyndham Clark just previously won his first PG Tour event, the Wells Fargo Championship, just um, last month. So you're seeing how much Wyndham Clark has grown, um, you know, and starting to get some wins under his belt now. Now a major champion, outlasted Rory McIlroy by one stroke. Um, Clark finished at 10 under par, McIlroy 9 under par. Scotty Scheffler, seven under par, so two of the top three players in the world finishing behind Wyndham Clark, who jumped up to number 13 in the yeah. official golf rankings. Um, yeah, Cameron Smith at six under par. Tommy Fleetwood, the best round on Sunday, a seven under 63 to finish at five under in a top five finish with Minmo Lee and Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler entered Sunday with a... Um, with the 54 hole lead so um co-lead with clark and ricky feller just didn't really have it shooting five over on sunday um as well it mentioned xander shuffley he finished uh tied for 10th at three under par so six out of seven u.s opens um for a top 10 finish for the former aztec yeah and, and just to bring up wyndham clark here again brevin you mentioned you know him winning the wells fargo earlier this year you also won one PGA event before that too, right? Yeah, it had been a while since he'd won. So um, so this was a good tune-up, you know, him to win Wells Fargo and then to, um, to win the U.S. Open just about a month later. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to see him jump up to number 13 in the world, like you mentioned, that's, that's great to see. And he is absolutely trending upwards in terms of uh, – guys to look out for here on, on the weekends mm-hmm. yeah i mean now this pretty much scares and tease him you know being 13th the world of the spot and pretty much all four majors next year too yeah um so by being number 13 in the world because it's about the top 50 or the top 60 that get automatic eligibility into um the four majors so we'll be seeing wyndham clark for a good amount of time here um among the not just the four majors but 
next year's designated events. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on now to the NBA and Brevin, a lot of news this week. Yeah. I think a lot because of the draft and obviously the season just ended a couple weeks ago, but now the league discussing some internal things and that includes eyeing some increases in the salary cap and luxury tax. And when you consider what the NBA has kind of done in regards to the salary cap, um, it's not necessarily that easy to understand, you know, from an outsider perspective, but in this new memo that was sent to teams yesterday, this according to ESPN, the league said that the salary cap is projected to be $136 million. The luxury tax projected to be $165 million. So that's higher by two and $3 million respectively than the initial projection sent in September before the 2022 season began. So these projections are now showing some greater increases. Yeah, it's interesting to see how much, um, you know, more money is being spent on players. I see if you think about some of these big contracts, you know, anywhere near, you know, $50 million a year. We're seeing $250 million contracts. We're seeing, um, you know, pot, you know, we had the opportunity, but it didn't happen to see a $300 million basketball player, but has that has not quite yet to be seen. So, you know, as money continues to rise, you know, so are the value of NBA players. Yeah, and going off of that, Brevin, one thing I want to get into here is a trade that actually happened this past week, and that is Bradley Beal. He was reportedly traded to the Phoenix Suns on Sunday. Now today, that being made official by the league. And now when you consider this, Brevin, Bradley Beal on a team with Devin Booker and – you know, you got DeAndre Ayton on that team as well. Kevin Durant showing up there. I mean, these guys on big contracts and Bill is on a max deal. So it, it's yeah. going to be interesting to see how this works out in terms of their finances, you know, from that perspective. But this is a huge trade revenue regardless of that, because the Suns received not only Beal, but Jordan Goodwin and Isaiah Todd. And on the other hand here, Washington Wizards, they ended up getting Chris Paul, Landry Shamit second round picks from 2024 all the way through 2028 and 2030. And they also got pick swaps in 2024, 2026, 2028, 2030. I mean, <laughs> 33-year-old uh, Bradley Beal landing in a new home, and it's a contender now for sure. Yeah, I think they're a contender. I don't know how much they are of possibly moving up as a championship contender, maybe yeah. moved up maybe one spot ahead of the Lakers, depending on some of their depth pieces um, in L.A. So, I mean, obviously when you acquire a player like Bradley Beal, we see him what he's done in Washington, kept him close to being a possibly a – playing tournament team um, over the last couple of years, but hasn't quite come to fruition. And so now you're seeing the Washington Wizards start to build this team up. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, Brevin, when you mention that, you know, depth is going to be key for this team because that's what makes a championship team. You can always have stars, but you've got to have mm -hmm. pieces around them. And I think you mentioned the Lakers. 
they're kind of in the same spot just because of all yeah. the impending free agents that they actually have. So a lot of work to do between those two teams really here, you know, this off season in addressing their needs. And we're probably going to see that be, you know, kind of solved out through the NBA draft here tonight as well. Yeah. It's also interesting too. When you think about the Suns, you know, you mentioned Kevin Durant, you mentioned Devin Booker. I think it'd be interesting what, um, the Suns decide to do them with DeAndre Ayton, you know, when, you know, knowing that they, they probably want to get some depth behind him, you know, knowing that you don't have Landry Shamet, you think about the trade last year to acquire Kevin Durant um, or earlier this year, you know, it's lost a lot of depth within this team. And so it'd be interesting to see how this Suns team can be able to get some of that depth back into their yeah. organization. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you mentioned – Training Chris Paul, Landry Shaman, I mean, these guards. You bring in Beal, yeah, obviously he satisfies that. But, you know, I think the Suns, you know, they might want to kind of continue to ad- address that roster, especially from a forward perspective, now that Devin Booker and Beal are going to be, you know, the primary ball handlers and Chris Paul no, no longer being there. Um, just improve that play around them w- with some size and some other guys who can shoot, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we think about it on the flip side with Washington, you know, think about them breaking up that team. They first traded Bradley Bills, we mentioned. Now yeah. they um, traded Chris Porzingis to the Celtics. It um, Originally, they, they had a three-team deal in place that included the Clippers that was going to send Malcolm Brogdon to Boston as well and Marcus Morris to Washington. But ultimately, that trade fell apart. Size moved on, and then hours after that, the Celtics were still able to acquire Porzingis in a three-team deal that involved Memphis. That included Porzingis, a 2023 first-round pick, and a 2024 second-round pick. Memphis, they received Marcus Smart. Remember, he took that final shot. Um, I think it was in that game 7-2 um, against... Um, against the Celtics. Or, no, not against... Against the... Um, in the in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Heat, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So you see him go Washington. They get Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala, a 2023 second round pick tonight, and then Tyus Jones as well. So um, yeah. all in all, Chris Shaps Porzingis is a Boston Celtic. <laughs> yeah, Washington here. I mean, this is such an interesting roster now, and you know, it, it really is going to be intriguing to see how many wins this team actually comes up with. I think Tyus Jones for Memphis, you know, losing him is a really big deal because he was fantastic off the bench. And even when John Morant wasn't playing this past season and even the year prior to that, you know, he looked, he looked really good. So I think he's going to be a meeting immediate starter for this team impact player for them for sure. But you know, the big piece, like you said, Christoph's Porzingis. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. I wonder how he's going to fit in within this uh, roster, but yeah, it, it's a nice it's a nice pickup, you know, with him as the four, and you have Robert Williams playing the five. Uh, I, I think adding Porzingis with with some size is pretty key for the Celtics team because they have some good guards, as we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you think about Washington; they made another move. They swung Chris Paul back to the West Coast to Golden State. And the Wizards received Jordan Poole, Ryan Wallens, a 20-30 first-round pick, and a 20-27 second-round pick. So the 12-time All-Star and the 39-year-old 
coming to the Bay Area to play with um, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. Yeah, this is this is pretty shocking to me, to be honest with you, Brevin. I mean, I saw this news happen, and you know the details came about just a few minutes later. I was even more surprised that it was Jordan Poole who who was given up for him. Like you mentioned, twenty four years old, and Chris Paul aging. You know his, his stats kind of showing that as well. I would say, but clearly they uh, want him to fit in within this. Warriors team. I don't know if Curry's going to end up moving to the two and, and, and Thompson, you know, just be their wing guy. Um, but this is even more interesting now, I think, with Draymond Green declining his option, like we talked about before, um, becoming a free agent. I don't know what this Warriors roster is going to look like next year, Revan, but I think it's very interesting to moving on from Jordan Cole so early on in his career, especially after they gave him that contract. I think that contract is part of it, knowing that it wasn't, it was too big or something like that. So they figured, let's just trade Jordan Poole, and then maybe it could re- give that return for Draymond Green possibly. So, but, but decline. Uh, Chris Paul's contract right now is still pretty sizable as well. So, yeah. I, I think they're going from you know the measure of that veteran leadership standpoint and. Um, you know, as much as Jordan Poole might be the future for that team, they it still belongs to Steph Curry first and foremost. And uh, maybe they didn't like Jordan Poole's attitude at times last season. Um, but, I mean, stats do show that he is improving each and every year. Uh, just didn't necessarily shoot as good from the three-point range last year. Mm-hmm. If you remember during training camp, this is too. Jordan Poole and Draymond got into that, that kind of – yeah. little fight too yeah um as well so so yeah if, if draymond green you know ultimately doesn't resign which it appears probably is the case you know those two guys now no longer going to be in golden state mm-hmm. yeah so we will see how where's josie the new gm there um in golden state draft tonight begins at 5 p.m also there were talks um, at the end of last week and into this week about Portland possibly trading Damian Lillard to add more draft um, stock to their number three pick, but ultimately Portland has shut trade talks down for Damian Lillard who wants to stay in Portland. Yeah, I don't think this is really a surprise here because I think Damian Lillard throughout his career has made it known he, that he wants to stay there, especially you know when you consider the job that he's done really throughout his career. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. This is going to be intriguing to see here ultimately what happens, you know, with Portland. When I'm speaking about here particular, particularly is the number three overall pick. That's who they have right now. So with that asset, you know, they could potentially make a trade. Uh, they could include someone as a part of a package and, and also uh, throw that number three pick in there. Or they could – ultimately select someone but it appears Damian Lillard is staying but I think he wants to add some more veterans potentially around him I don't necessarily know how you know one of these draft picks fits in with their team right now I think you know Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller are really good options but Anthony Simons also being on that team I think there's also been talks of him potentially being a trade asset so 
there's a lot of question marks about Portland right now, Brevin. I don't know what we're going to see in the next hour here, but I know it's going to be a lot of fun because that that's all a part of this unpredicted uh, nature of the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. Portland, they do have the 23rd pick um, yeah. overall, so that'll be also interesting to see what Portland decides to do there as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is the draft tonight. Remember, the Spurs have the first pick. Yeah. Looks like it'll be Victor Wimbanyama, but won't be official for another hour plus, roughly. And then you get the Charlotte Hornets before the Portland Trailblazers, followed by the Rockets and the Pistons rounding out the first five picks. Yeah, I think the the top three, Wimbanyama is a near lock, as close to a lock as possible, maybe in the history of the draft. And uh, the next two are going to be interesting. Like I said, Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. We don't know what order those guys are going to go in, but I think those three guys are likely to go within that top three. Uh, There's been talks of other guys that could potentially jump spots here in the draft. Uh, You know, with a lot of potential guys like, uh, you know, Eamon Thompson, I mean, he's one of those guys who could who could potentially jump up. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will see the future stars of the NBA get selected. 58 total picks tonight um, here in the NBA draft. All right, we're going to move on to trivia now, where I'll let Kyle take it away on some NBA draft trivia. Yeah, so Brevin, this is going to be kind of intriguing to see how you do. Um, but I, I want to quiz you over the course of the uh, past decade or so. Um, the oh, first overall picks since 2010. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, geez. I want to I want to quiz you on that uh, by year, pretty much. So, are you are you think you're ready for this right here? I think so. I have a feeling I'm going to pick some like players that were like picked third overall or something like that, yeah. and they could have been number one overall picks. Right. Well, well, here's the thing. I'm going to give you some clues. Uh, okay. Kind of help you guess here. So. Okay. Not All right. Let's do this. Well, let, let's get into it. All right. Your first player. Let's start with the 2010 draft. Now, this player, he was a player at Kentucky. He was a guard, and he was drafted by the Washington Wizards. This is, oh, gosh. Oh, it's, I feel like it's, I'm going to go Bradley Beal here, although I don't feel like it's been 10 years since he's been in the a dozen years since he's been in the league. Yeah, that's a really good guess. Yeah, it's it's not him. It's his longtime counterpart. Oh. John Wall, really? No. John Wall. It is John Wall, okay. Yep. It was John right. Wall who was the first overall pick to the Wizards in 2010. Yeah. There mm-hmm. you go. All right, let's go to 2011. Now, this player here, Duke guard was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2011. Oh. Well, it's not Grayson Allen. I know that one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Is this... Is this Jason Tatum? No, not Jason Tatum. Ooh. Is this player currently in the NBA? Yes. Think think uh think back a, a little for for a lot further than Jason Tatum actually. Yeah, I know that part. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, who is part of the championship? Oh. Nope, not him. Nope. That's a couple years later. Um oh gosh. Dude, dude. Duke guard drafted first overall to Cavs. I can give you another. He he has. He has what? He has he has won a ring. He has won a ring. Okay. Um. With the Cavaliers, in fact. Um. Let's see. Number one overall pick. With the Cavaliers, I've won a ring. I'm trying to think, twenty sixteen now. Um, well, it's obviously not LeBron. I know that part. There you go. <laughs> I can cross that name off. Yeah. Is this? Um, the only name that's coming to mind is it Tristan Thompson? No, it's not. You want me? To, Who is it? You want me to tell you? Yeah. Kyrie Irving. Oh, it is Kyrie. Okay. Yeah. There oh, that's go. right. Yeah. Oh, so I forgot who went to Duke. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's go to 2012. So you're one for one now. Let's go to 2012. Uh, this is a forward out of Kentucky drafted yeah. by the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, this is the one I was thinking about. But then I said it was a couple years later. That is Anthony Davis. Yep, that's right. It was Anthony Davis. They were actually still the Hornets in 2012. I think the next year they yep. beat the Pelicans, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Yep, Anthony Davis there. So two for one now. Uh, two and one overall uh, record. Uh, let's go to 2013. This is really tough. I don't know if you're going to get this one or even remember, but 2013, uh, forward out of UNLV. Drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh. He was uh, the biggest bust of the last 13 years. Oh, I see the face. I'm blanking out on the name. It's Canadian. Uh, Oh, here you go. Anthony Bennett. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, I don't know if I, I was thinking like Tony or something like that, and I was like, Anthony, yeah. there you go. There you go, Anthony. <laughs> Bennett. Yep, he was uh, the biggest flop on this list. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Well, the Cleveland Cavaliers actually had the number one overall pick the next year as well, and they took a guard slash forward out of Kansas. Oh, this was. Oh. It's one of the things where it's like you hear about it and then it goes out one ear and then goes in one ear and out the other uh, right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kansas. He has won a ring, but not with the Cavaliers. Did he win it? Did he, was he part of that national championship team? I believe so. Yeah. Um. Then let's see. First picked by the Cavs in 2014. I'll give you another hint. He's Canadian. 
Um, not really didn't do much, but um, let's see. I'm trying to think, who is part of that team? Because I know Joel Embiid was part of that team. Yeah. But he wasn't drafted by the Cavs. And I know it's not Kemba Walker. Yeah. Because it was that same draft class with him and Kawhi. Oh, no, not Kawhi. Yeah. Xavier, technically, those same year, Xavier things. Um, oh. Uh, Want me to give it to you? Yeah. Andrew Wiggins. Oh, that's right. There you go. Yeah, see. I see. I, In I, one I, ear and out the other. I thought Canadian was going to help you. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. Okay. Yeah. Well, he he's one of the few Canadians. That's players. right. Yeah, I know. Him. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. He, Cavs. It, it's, it's hard to think back and think he went to the Cavs. I know. That's probably what got you. Right. Yeah, that's 2015. Uh, center out of Kentucky, drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm. Oh, Carl, I can count. There you go. Yep. And uh, yeah, good old cat. There you go. That is cat. So doing pretty well here. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, Forward slash guard out of LSU, drafted by the Sixers. The Sixers. What year is this? Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Forward slash guard out of LSU. LSU. Uh, last player I think about coming out of LSU is Shaq. <laughs> and he is Australian. Oh gosh. Um. That might help you. I don't know if it does, but uh, uh, I should know more Australian players. Um, oh gosh, Australian players in the NBA. All I can think of right now is Kelly Olynyk, but I know it's not Kelly Olynyk. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, oh, this is another one in one ear and out the other. Yeah, um, just like Andrew Wiggins. Um, oh gosh. Want me give 2016 by the by the Sixers. Yep. And he's Australian. Um. Uh, I don't think it's right, but Donovan Mitchell. No, that that's actually not a bad guess, but no, it's it's not Donovan Mitchell. Um, I think you're you're guessing around the same like year he was drafted. Okay. Which is you, why you have the right idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy who uh, he's no longer on the Sixers. He has, he's had an interesting story. Oh God! Well, that doesn't help these, either. A lot of these, a lot of these. Uh, I know. Those overall draft picks have had interesting stories to be fair. And yeah, I know Joel Embiid's not Australian, so I can cross him off. <laughs> All right, Kyle, who is it? Ben Simmons. Oh, uh, Ben Simmons is Australian? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, so there you go. Okay. Simmons, first overall in 2016. He was the start of the uh, yeah process, or he was kind of the start of it. Okay. So, so it fell apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, the process continued in 2017 because they drafted another guard, this time out of Washington. Yeah, that didn't help. Yeah, um, I, I didn't. I don't expect you to get this. Washington. Jeez. Washington guard, and uh, he's another one of those guys who is no longer on the Sixers. The only guard that I can think of from Washington, Malachi Flynn, but he went to Washington State. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, Washington. This, this was a this was a draft where I mean, just the top players necessarily weren't as you know hyped as. Past yeah, for the most part. Um, twenty seventeen, and I think for good reason because six years ago. Yeah. It, oh jeez. I don't think you're gonna guess his name. I don't think I am either. Well, um. Let's see. Is he with the Sixers right now? No, no longer with the Sixers. No. Is he playing for any NBA team right now? Yes. Okay. Playing for a team in the East. Uh oh. Okay. Um, I'll give you the team. Orlando Magic. Oh! Okay, yeah, now I remember. Um, Markel Fultz. There you go. There yeah, you go. Nice. There you go. Yeah, uh, very odd beginning to his career. To the yeah, that was crazy. And then he was ultimately released. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was interesting. Well, uh, the next year, it was the Suns who had the first overall pick, and they took his center out of Arizona, 2018. This is DeAndre Ayton. There you Should go. Yeah. Yep, yep, there you go. Now, I think these next four you're going to be able to get. Uh, forward out of Duke was drafted in 2019 first overall by the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, this one's tough. I'm not sure if I'll be able to get this one. Forward out of Duke. No, <laughs> no, I get this one. This is um, he hasn't played that much with the Pelicans because of injury. Yeah. But I'm gonna go Zion Williamson here. Yep. Uh, hot hot topic on Twitter recently. I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you know, you know. And uh, so yeah, 2019 he was drafted first overall, and hopefully we're able to see him actually play some more. Yeah. All right. The next year, 2020. We had the draft uh, during the COVID era, and this was a guard out of Georgia taken by the Minnesota Timberwolves first overall. Oh, uh, oh yeah, that's right, Anthony Edwards. Yeah, that's right, Anthony Edwards there, uh, first overall. So still with that squad there, but yeah, uh, moving on now, 2021. Uh, the Detroit Pistons had the first overall pick. They Ooh. took a guard out of Oklahoma State. Yeah, this one is Kate Cunningham. Yep, there you go. That was Kate Cunningham. So I knew you would nail these uh, ones here near the end. Last year, forward out of Duke. The magic. I don't even remember this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, he, um, he actually did better this year than I actually thought. He had uh, yeah, for twenty points per game. I think that this one should have been Chet Holmgren at one. Yeah, but it wasn't, and I'm trying to figure out who that was at one. He uh, he has dual nationalities from Italy and the United States. Oh jeez. Um. 
I'm drawing a blank with this one, but I'm taking <laughs> six out of 12 or whatever it is. Or yeah, whatever yeah. We're at. that'd be six out of 12. Yep. Yeah. No, that's not bad. Right, who is it, Kyle? Paulo Bancaro. Oh, that's right. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, I was going to get that, though. Yeah, interesting. Uh, 20 points a game in his first year. I actually didn't know. Yeah. So, yeah, there's your list. That was that was pretty good. You know, I would take that. It's kind of hard to think all the way back to 2010, so. I know. Uh-huh. Like, all right, Blake Griffin, here we go. Oh, wait, no, 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Blake Griffin, uh, the year just before uh, 2010. 2009. Uh, before that, you have Derek Rose, and then in 2007, Greg Oden. <laughs> Only if Derek Rose did not break his leg, how much longer of an NBA career he would have had. Absolutely. Yeah. It's crazy to. Think about how these guys were all drafted first overall and see where they kind of ended up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you see one drafted 41st become an NBA Finals MVP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you never know. So, yeah, uh, next week we're going to get into the results of the NBA draft. As always, a lot of speculation here tonight. I'm sure we're even going to see some trades before or throughout. So, We'll keep you updated on that next week, and we're going to break down all the moves that are made that will impact all sorts of different teams throughout the league. We're also going to get into uh, more Major League Baseball as All-Star Women continues and the season rolls on. So, yeah, look forward to that next week in episode number 107 of Down the Line. But as for 106, that's going to do it here today. Once again, I am Kyle Best. As always joined by Rev Honda. We want to thank you so much for listening to Down the Line. Please share with your friends. You can listen to us on any podcasting platform. So go find us and follow us. Give us a listen. We'll be back next week with another episode. So stay tuned for that. Once again, I'm Kyle Betts for Rev Honda. We will see you then.